0: Tim, again, thank you so much for sharing over the weekend, and uh, you've had hopefully a good experience over the past year of Christianity in Northern Ireland. Your New Horizon, and then the question, b- <laughs> and then the biggest event in Northern Ireland at the Castle. Okay, so thank you so much for coming over for us. Okay, loads of people have asked this, Tim. How how do you uh, how, how do we Cherish our quiet times. How do we make sure that we read a portion of God's word? What is the what is the practical? Are, are, have you any practical tips on this? How can we best meditate on God's word? Um, personal Bible reading.
1: Uh, I mean, there are lots of ways one could answer that, and but let me. I think the thing I would say first, first and foremost, is actually when you as you read your Bible each day, don't don't make it your primary. Focus has been getting more information. Don't view it as a kind of educational process where you're going to read this text and and try and try and learn something new. Um, the Bible does teach us things, of course it does, and um, and there may be many occasions when you when you do learn new things, but that's not actually the primary aim of a of a quiet time. Uh, most of the time, when you read the scriptures, you will. Be hearing truth that you already know. Um, so, but what you're what you're actually doing is you are l- you are coming to the Scriptures to to have a moment of communion with your Savior. To hear Him speak to you, and then to respond in prayer. So think of it more, much more, as a conversation between friends. Um, you know when when um, when my wife gets back from work, I don't, you know, it, when, we, when, we, when my wife and I talk, I don't go, oh, hang on a minute, Where's, there's no new information here, let's not bother with this conversation, okay? It's a little tip for you there, if you're a husband. Uh, it's, not, it's not how relationships work, you know? Or uh, a better example would be, you know, on our, on our anniversary, if, you know, if, if I say, I love you, she's not going to go, well, I, I know that. Why, why are you telling me that? You've told me that before. In fact, really, you're quite boring. You tell me quite a lot. You know, actually, she does say that sometimes. But anyway. <laughs> um, but, you know, in other words, there are some things we just need to hear over and over again because we just need to have that reassurance. And that's, so come, come, to, your, uh, come to your quiet time to hear from Christ. And to hear words that um, that will reassure your heart, I guess another thing to do actually that I find really helpful is to pray through the passage again it's it's partly just a way of pulling us away from this idea i 've got to learn some information here if you actually just take the passage it works it you know it works for some parts of the Bible more easily and straightforwardly than others, but I think it works with any passage you read it and then just go back and read a verse or two or a paragraph depends you know whether it's a story or a psalm or whatever and then just respond in prayer and just think how can I praise God if, or thank him for what I've just read here how can I um, uh, what maybe something I feel I need to confess or maybe this prompts me to pray for make a, re- a, a request to him for something but just respond so that so that what's taking place is a two-way conversation and, and funnily enough, I find that actually often turns out to be very illuminating in terms of actually my understanding of the passage. But that's, that's the happy byproduct. Primarily, it's about having a conversation.
0: Tim, if someone has grown cold, grown cold sorry, in their quiet time, uh, a book to start with, a suggestion maybe, or someone who is going to pick up the Bible for the first time, what book would you suggest here?
1: Uh, I think I'm probably contractually bound to say this, but but genuinely, I think the, the Explore Notes, the Good Book Company, writes some Explore Notes uh, that you can um, they're just a sort of passage and and some prompts to, to help you think day by day. They don't they don't need to take very long. Uh, that'd be a great place to start.
0: Great, thank you. Okay, so the Israelites got free from the Egyptian bondage, but only very few of them made it to the Promised Land. Is this the same for us today? Only a very few of us will get freed from the bondage of habitual sin and make it to heaven slash paradise.
1: Uh, it's a very good question. And um, I... Uh, so many ways to answer it as well. And, uh, you know, if, I mean, in one sense, the answer is to have a read of Hebrews 3 and 4, where the writer... <coughs> Is addressing those kinds of questions, using that, that generation that first came out of Egypt as an example to us, not to, to as a kind of exhortation to keep trusting in Christ. Uh, so that what we have in, actually at any point in the history of Israel, you have, in fact, Paul uses this phrase in, in Romans 8, talks uh, Romans 9 talks about Israel, I can't remember how the phrase goes, but basically a kind of Israel within Israel that there was within this kind of political entity of people, there was this, there was a believing group. Uh, so you think of, think of Elijah, um, the story of Elijah, where Elijah sort of, at one point, he sort of gets all gloomy, it's slight like gloomy tendency, he says, I'm the only one. And God says, no, actually, there are 7,000 people who, who are still true to my name that there is this group within, within, it's a particularly low point in Israel's history, where there are just not many people believing. But even then, there are still 7,000 who are, who are trusting in Christ, or trusting in, uh, trusting in God, I guess, in those terms. And then in the prophets, that becomes even more kind of explicit, where you have this idea of a remnant, that within this political entity, there is this faithful remnant, these faithful people. And really, that's going on right from the start. So, or as a political entity, all the Israelites come out, but not all of them are, are believers. Um, and we—I don't, don't know what their kind of situation is at the end, but, but because some of them may well have been repentant after after what happened, but they—they they don't trust God, and therefore they don't enter the promised land. Um, and the writer of Hebrews uses that as a kind of call to us. And I think, in terms of you know application here, is many of you will grown up in Christian homes, many of you will be part of churches uh perhaps uh for many years, but it's it is actually you you yourself have got to put your faith in Christ. You can't just kind of piggyback your way in. You've got to actually trust Christ and follow Christ. And I guess also it's it's not just about it's not what saves you is faith in Christ. You are not saved because there was some point in the past where you may you went forward at a meeting or put your hand up or prayed a prayer or something. That's not what saves you. What saves you is faith in Christ. Now, for many, many, many of you, that you know, that moment where you went forward or prayed your prayer will be the beginning of, that will be the first time when you first put your faith in Christ uh, and uh, you, know, you, will, you, know, you are trusting him now and, and therefore you can be confident of your salvation. But it may be just because you had some little emotional experience, that doesn't necessarily mean, if you're not following Christ now, if you're not trusting him now, not living under his lordship now, then I can't give you any assurance that, that you, you will be saved. But what I am confident is that those who have put their trust in Christ, who Christ has taken hold of, they will be saved. They won't fall away.
0: Great, Tim. Another question just on the on the back of that. Um, how can I be sure that I am not a false convert? Um Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think
1: it's a hard question to ask in this situation. Sure, sure. So, because so my answer, I guess my answer is: Do you do you trust in Christ? Do you love Him? Uh, The reason it's a hard question is because. Because there are sensitive souls who feel the weight of their sin. And that actually is a sign of the Spirit's work in us. But people can feel that very keenly. And they feel perhaps a sense of shame for things they've done, or even things that have been done to them. Uh, Feel a sense of guilt. And so they are tentative, doubting. And so to those kinds of people, you'll you'll say, Christ is, if you're trusting in Christ, Christ is. You remember how we were thinking yesterday, if you were here yesterday, of... Christ being in heaven on our behalf bearing our name so that our name is in heaven now and we are as secure as Christ is Uh, but then you've got other people who have made some kind of commitment at some point but now not following Christ not living in obedience Uh, and uh, the way you answer those is quite different you've got to be quite robust and say I've got no confidence in your salvation you can't have any maybe you're a Christian Maybe you're not, because you're not living a life that that is consistent with the profession you've made. And um, I I cannot and do not want to. It it would be a a cruel act to reassure someone who is uh, continually, unrepentantly disobeying Christ. Because they can have no assurance. They need to repent and come back or come for the first time. I don't know whether it'll be coming back or coming for the first time, but they need to come to Christ. And that's a slightly different response to that person.
0: Sure. Thank you. Um, another question kind of associated with that. that someone who perhaps, or, or some of us, are facing issues in our life and we want to serve the Lord full-heartedly, but perhaps we feel hindered because of situation or because of uh, illness uh, and we can then feel guilt because of that. Any? Yeah, it's Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, let's 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 assume the issue is illness, because um, yeah. yeah. So there, is, but but all of us, I guess, have have different things that limit us in different ways. But let's take illness as an example. I think uh, it's really important to recognise that God does not expect of you more. Than, no. What's the phrase? Phrasing this anyway. He. What, what, the, the life that he has given you and the limitations that he has given you, he doesn't expect of you more than you can do. Actually, that's it. That Christ does not expect more of you, more of you than you can do. So we are called to give our lives wholeheartedly. Paul talks about pouring out his life as a sort of offering on the faith, in this case of the Philippians. So we, we, are, you know, we, we, we give our lives to Christ, absolutely. But God does not expect you to do more than you can do. He does not expect you to do 25 hours of work every 24 hours. Otherwise, he would have made 25-hour <laughs> days. He doesn't expect, like we with the, with the little book review this morning, he doesn't expect you to go without sleep. Otherwise, he would have made us beings that didn't need sleep. But we do need sleep. <laughs> we are finite. You're all finite, okay? I know you're young and fit and... <laughs> healthy and uh, you think you can conquer the world, you're all finite, you're all limited. And God doesn't expect us to kind of somehow go beyond our limits. And uh, I just think there's such, because what you're doing in that situation is you're, you're, you're trying to be God. Uh, you're either trying to prove yourself, you can't do that, you've got to trust in Christ for your approval, for your justification. You're trying to control everything, you can't do that. God is in control. You're not in control. Uh, you're trying to kind of nail down every problem. You can't do that. You've got to trust God with those situations, and so so you've just got to live with those limits. But actually, rejoice in that. I mean, that's so freeing, by the way. Um, and so um, so if you're ill, then you you know you you can't. That will limit you, and and you've got to accept that. And but that doesn't mean that you can't serve. Christ or you that somehow you're not you you know you're not making a valuable contribution and actually so so you've got you do what you can within your limits but actually often that is itself such a powerful testimony uh I know so many situations where Christians who have who have faced long-term illnesses or debilitating illnesses and and I think of a woman in our church who has multiple cirrhosis and you know she She's reached a point in that where she she has to she has to have long uh, periods of rest, long sort of um, um, sleep during the daytime. So you know the amount of time that she's got is very it's very small, and even in that time she can't because of her vulnerability to illness. She can't anyway. She's very limited, but but her her faith in that context is such a powerful witness mm. so she's she's almost she's almost housebound and yet she's one of our most powerful evangelists it's it's weird you know but that's the way god uses people uh my own mother is has um she has had for more than 25 years she's had um very serious um arthritis very debilitating and there's been a number of points where it's just got worse as time has gone on, and she says each she's talking me each time there's sort of this sort of week two week period where she feels frustrated because she can do less mm. and then she's just decides she's just's she's got to come to terms with that she's down, down a level as it were but but then be content to serve Christ with with um i shouldn't talk too much about my mum. i'll start crying okay <laughs> so there's a good example anyway Thank she you. is Thank you. Well, I was i was gonna say something else then but anyway maybe, maybe it,
0: it, one on the back of that just uh you were talking a little bit about rest you mentioned sabbath as an important rhythm and pattern but yet that it shouldn't be legalistic does the fourth commandment come over from the old to the new covenant and if so how can it not be prescriptive or how can we not be prescriptive of it uh and what some may I call legalism, how how can we negotiate the Sabbath? Some advice on the Sabbath.
1: Ah. <laughs> 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 uh, that is a massive theological debate, which sort of takes <laughs> us into all sorts of questions about how the law applies today. My own feeling has, particularly in recent months, really as I've, uh, which I've is that um, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, so, I, I, my instinct is to be on on a side. There's a sort of debate as to quite how the law of Moses applies to Christians today. And my own instinct is that, in one sense, it doesn't. So, in Hebrews eight, just been preaching on Hebrews eight, talks about how the old covenant is now obsolete. That's not my language. That's Hebrews language. Okay, it's obsolete. quite strong language. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's irrelevant, and you can just kind of screw it up and bin it. What, what we've got going on there is God is revealing his will, the way he wants us to live, for a particular people, in a particular culture, at a particular point in the story of salvation. And the way he, that, 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 that will, which you can sum up as love God and love others, which is how Paul sums it up uh, in Galatians 5 and, and other places. Um, what does that look like, though? well, then the law of Moses gives us a very kind of concrete sense of what that might look like. And then uh, that, that really helps and informs and shapes and equips us to do the same in our context. Um, and the law also is just full of stuff that is pointing us to the Lord Jesus and the salvate saving work that he's going to do. Um, and I think actually Sabbath is in that category that actually it, it it does come over, as it were, to use that the language of the question, but it comes over in that call to find rest in Christ. Um, and that, that actually, and I'll come back to that in a moment. Now, there are other people, other views are available, which would say that uh, particularly, I guess, that the Ten Commandments are quite a distinct part of the rest of the Mosaic Law, and they do come over, and I have a lot of sympathy with that. But um, the best of those see still that there is a kind of uh that that you still got to view it in the light of christ and that once you start doing that you end up with a position that's so similar to mine that I that's why i say i don't think it really matters and and so i think here's the point i think that it's really important kind of embedded it's because because there is sabbath not just in the law but in creation as a it's not there as a command explicitly, but there is there as a pattern that there is built into the way human beings are intended to function a rhythm of work and rest because we're finite. Mm. Back back to that old thing: we are we are finite. We can't just work continually. We must have rest. And the biblical pattern is not a balance of work and rest over a year. That's actually the norm now in our culture. So you. Got, you've got tons of people who basically overwork for 48 weeks of the year, and then they binge rest on holiday. Which, by the way, puts a lot of um, weight on getting a good holiday. If your holiday, you, you know how people talk about that. Oh, you know the the flight was cancelled. It's a disaster. Well, it is a disaster if you've if you've loaded up all your rest into this one <clears throat> week of the year, kind of thing. So anyway, <clears throat> I'm just going to go. Or or we or we overwork for. For 40, 50 years of our lives, and then binge rest in in retirement. Mm-hmm. That's the other option. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, no, it's a week. It's a week. Mm-hmm. So, and here's sorry. This is just me meandering. But you know, it, I'm demob happy now. So, <laughs> it's a little it's a little interesting thing. There are certain things that are there are periods of time. A year is built into the fabric of the universe. It, this is just it's a bit of whimsy here. Okay, just so we know. Um, <laughs> What's a year? it's yeah. so how, how long the sun goes around? Uh, the Earth goes around the sun. So it's just a bit of it, yeah. Then a day, a, a month, give or take, is a moon cycle of the moon. A day is how long the Earth how long takes the Earth to rotate. They're all astral. Th- those are time periods that are based on astronomy. Okay, and they're all the big ones. Have you noticed that? And then human beings have invented. We've invented all the small ones. So uh, an hour, a minute, and a second are all Arbitrary human creations. Have you realised that? Mm. Just, just just a bit of whimsy. Um, <laughs> I find it interesting that 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 in our culture we now live by hours and seconds. Mm. But actually what's mm. built into the fabric mm. is is the big chunks of time. The the, the, the the exception to both those rules is a week, which is not astronomical. Mm. It's not a human creation. It's it's a divine creation. It's a divine pattern. That's just interesting, isn't mm. it? Anyway, whimsy over. <laughs> um, The uh, so my, what I would say is make sure that uh, each week you have a good pattern of work mm. and rest. Mm. And I don't really mind quite how you organise that. Some of you will mm. be. Some of you are. I know nurses and you know, other things, people who, there'll be people here who have to work on a Sunday for for good reason and so on. But make sure that over a week you have a good pattern of work and rest. And every now and then, you know, a crisis happens and you have to work, you know, super hard for a week and that's fine. But don't ever make that the norm because you're finite. You need a pattern of work and rest in your life. And I think in our culture, that's why I was saying about Sabbath, I think there is just something very powerful about once a week stopping and Sunday is a really good day to do it because that's when God's people meet, and it's a good time to re- be, you know, uh, stopping and uh, no social media, mm. no emails, no work. Time for God. Time for people. Time to relax. A way of saying loud and clear: my life is not my. I'm. I am not self-creating or self-justifying. Mm. So I can I can turn off I can switch off. One one more thing, funny story. Okay, I was taking, I was talking about this in the states in the United States, and I said, you can read a trashy novel to the glory of God, because that's a way of saying I don't need to. Uh, I don't need to be frantically always mm. Mm. self-creating, self-justifying. I can kick my shoes off, put my feet up, read a trashy novel as a way of saying I'm trusting in Christ uh, it turns out that the word trashy in America does not mean what it means here uh, I, don't, I don't know I, I'm just assuming you, you've not reacted in it, in it so, so I, for us for me anyway a trashy novel is a novel of, of no great literary mm. merit that you might mm. read and then mm. throw in the trash mm. afterwards in America it means pornographic so yeah um.
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Slightly different. Actually, I know
1: I know that it doesn't mean that here because I, that, so that I did that in one thing and then I went to the next, I went to my next, I was speaking in a church a couple of days later and I started with that story as a way of saying, I'm not from around here. I might say some things that are a bit weird because I'm, I'm English, you know. And there was a, a young woman who had, from Northern Ireland who had just got married and to the minister. She was now the minister's wife. And as I told the story, everybody laughs. She looks puzzled. And she turned, I can see her, she's in front of me. She turns to the person next to her, gets an explanation, uh. and then her face drops. As she says, she suddenly realises, there's all this potential for me to make some of these cultural faux pas that
0: I didn't realise. Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Right, okay, so some quick ones. If people can't see the face of God and live, how do the elders survive?
1: Yeah, I know, really good question. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, the answer is... Mediator, Covenant, Sacrifice, but yes, why Moses couldn't see God's face, and 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 actually, the um, in Exodus thirty three, I didn't highlight this, but it because there wasn't time. But in Exodus thirty three, uh, when we're talking about the Tent of Meeting, it says that Moses would go in there and talk to God as a man face to face. I think the answer is uh, Christ. That what Moses is seeing in the tent of meet in the in the tent of meeting and what the elders saw on the mountain is is Christ, mm-hmm. uh, in some way, some kind of Christophany, some mm-hmm. appearance of God, because Christ is is always he's is, is the Word of God. He is how God kind of communicates, and so I think they saw Christ.
0: Great. Uh, did Moses wear the veil for the rest of his life, or did the facts wear off?
1: Uh, I don't know that. But the implication of the way the story is told in 34 is, uh, yes, he did wear it, but yeah. Okay. And and it's kind of renewed because when he goes in to speak with God, he takes it off Mm. because now he's talking face to face with God. So maybe there's some, I don't know, no idea.
0: Okay. So in Exodus 24, the priests and Moses see God. Then in Exodus 33, Moses is not able to see God. Why is this? What is the difference? Well, I think that's the same question as before.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I Okay. I think the answer is Christ in the end.
0: Here, here's one. How do we distinguish between grumbling and lamenting?
1: Oh yeah, really good question. Grumbling is what we do to other people. Lamenting is what we do towards God. Say it
0: again. Hi me,
1: <laughs> I mean, I suppose that's the easy. That, that's one answer. I suppose there's a sense too in which because we can, I think, lament with one another. You know, if if someone is as a tragedy hits, then there is a sense in which we lament. Rightly, with one another. Um, but I, yeah, I still think it has a God word, even, even though you might be sort of commiserating with someone who's just had some, lost their job or whatever it might be, um, you can commiserate with them. Um, I still think lamenting is uh, has that direction of being directed towards God. It is, lamenting is very much, I think, around sin so it is lamenting the fact that either we are sinners or that we live in a broken world Uh, so it's within that kind of framework the other thing I think that's important for us to recognize grumbling is says you and and lamenting says we or maybe that's more you know constructive if in our in our congregation if which which by the way is, uh, my congregation is just delightful and they don't grumble they really don't but if if people if someone was to come to me and say you should do this mm-hmm. that that's to me that's grumbling mm-hmm. if someone comes and says we should do something about this i'm so up for that conversation sure. that that's that i'm i as a as a minister that absolutely do i want people coming and saying do you know what we're not doing that very that very well I wonder if there's a way we could do it better. If you're using the language of we, then then that's brilliant because what you're because you're saying this is this is you're owning this issue and and we let let us see if we can think about how we can do things better. That's what we want. We want that. That's quite different from saying you should you're not doing a very good job on welcoming new people or whatever it might be, you know.
0: Great. Thank you. Okay. So you've talked somewhat on the symbolism and the tabernacle and the design of the tabernacle and architecture. Can you name a really good book that would be helpful on this? <laughs> Other than Exodus
1: for you. Wait.
0: <laughs> Tim wrote that by the way, if you did. ah, <laughs> uh,
1: yes. Just can't think what it's called. Okay. Uh there's a book by Vern Poifres. The Gospel of Christ in the Law of Moses, something like that. That's very good. Uh, that's the one I can think of. I think I think that's the right author, and I think that's the right title.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, uh, we're pretty much out of time, but here's one. Oh really? <coughs> Thanks. So. Uh, we need to. Is not right. About quarter past. What do we think, boys? Lunch is at one, but people need to clear out their rooms. All right. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'd have been briefer in my answers if i knew we had sorry to. <laughs> sorry
0: okay what what is god's presence how do we reconcile god dwelling with his people in the tabernacle and the fact that he is omnipresent can he be more in one place than another and if so how
1: yes another really good question i think god is omnipresent present everywhere uh, but there is uh but there is also the bible clearly talks about him being present in a more intense way i think it's more about um what's the best way of describing what that means i think it is it's he's present in a it might be the nature of the relationship it's it's the intensity i think of his presence but i can't i don't know what that means it's not like he's more present or less present you know it's not like somewhere over on the lock, he's kind of less present. It's more about the nature of that presence and the way that, what he communicates through that and what we experience as a result of that, I think. And it's, so it's a relational presence, I think, that is, uh, it's more, and maybe, I mean, it's it's hard for us to get analogies of God because, you know, it's not just in a whole nother category. But uh, if I was, um, if I mean, maybe someone's doing this now, but you know, if you're doing this at the meal table, People would say, well, you're not really here, are you? You're somewhere, your mind is somewhere else. And there may be a sense in which, when in, in the tabernacle, in the temple, in Christ, in the Lord's Supper, when the God's word is preached, that there is a, a kind of relational focus that, that, is, that makes that. Or maybe the better way of putting it, in fact, let's put it, is, is that God is present everywhere, but what we experience of his presence, that's a better way of putting it, in these kind of situations is is more real and visceral and tangible that's better <laughs> okay got, got there in the end
0: <laughs> so part of today's reading was about god's steadfast love being shown to the generation after generation and yet on the other hand it talks about visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and their children's children and this, that, that this is part of the ten commandments in exodus 20. how can this be explained Uh, where one man's actions seem to affect his whole family to the next generation. What's going on with that?
1: Yeah, I think there are different ways of answering that. One is that the way God deals with his people is through covenants. And that's been the case right from the get-go. So in fact, you know, I can't remember quite how it's expressed there, but the sin of Adam affects us all uh to this day we we are all born sinful and uh, uh, guilty because of adam's sin so that is how god has always dealt with us and and then you get a kind of echo of that in the mosaic law so i think in other words i could answer in all sorts of ways in which one person's action affects another person's action parents actions affects children's actions actions um but i think so so there is that kind of um natural as it were way in which patterns of behavior and uh or um decisions that are made by one generation impact the next generation so there is that kind of as it were natural way in which decisions are passed down generations but i think more fundamentally there is this kind of covenantal way in which god deals with us and 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 whatever you think of that once it doesn't really matter that's just how it is That's the way God deals with us but but the good news of that is that that is how he deals with us in Christ otherwise we'd all be in trouble it's because we are in Christ and then uh, that that what Christ does his perfect obedience and then his death on his death on the uh, for sin impacts affects me In a sense that is a passing down of the generations, but it's not sort of um, genetic generations now, it's the family of God within the family of God. And so that covenantal framework is actually the mechanism, the bedrock of our salvation.
0: Thanks Tim, thank you. So Sarah's handmaid, Ishmael's mother, saw something of God's glory when uh, she saw uh, God's glory Uh, Would this be something similar to what Moses and Elijah experienced or do you think that would be something different? Um, How does this compare? Uh,
1: I don't know. I'd have to sort of look it up and think about it But I think probably the answer is that she has some experience of Christ in that moment I'm not saying by the way that she knows it's Christ That she suddenly becomes all Trinitarian in a very clear and explicit way I'm just she has an experience of God but the way that we are able to understand what that is now, now that we know that now that we have the revelation of God in Christ is that actually that was it was it was it was Christ that she experiences in that moment.
0: Okay. Um, I'm just going to ask one Tim to kind of wrap us up a little bit if that's okay. Um, okay. I'm going to ask one for all of us here um, as uh, Christians. Uh, how how, how how can we best live in light of the culture that we're in? Um, you, you, you're coming over f- for the weekend. You've got to experience a little bit of Northern Irish culture. Um, <laughs> That's right. D- 20, 48 hours. And, got it nailed. And, 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 and New Horizons. It's not like and, it's complicated. New no, no. Very simple history and past. Um, <laughs> so...
1: That was
0: Wh- irony by the way <laughs> 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 Yeah w- w- words, words, A word of advice Or a word of guidance uh, For us or a word of encouragement As young adults going right out across Ireland Across the United Kingdom um, What would you What would you leave us with How long have I got We'll give you five minutes If you want Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh.
1: I'll, I'll 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 give you anyway. Um, I think we're in entering interesting times. Okay. I'm not I'm not a prophet. I don't uh, I don't I can't predict the future. I'm very wary of uh, very wary of kind of what I call exceptionalism, where people in all in all its forms, but one form of that is our our age is somehow worse or. Than, or, or better I suppose than any other age, uh, but nevertheless we are in we are in we are in strange times within my lifetime i mean i mean actually within your lifetime, i suspect for many of you, things have changed very radically, and the way i think particularly it's it's not that um within my lifetime, a whole bunch of moral on a, a whole bunch of moral issues we have gone from a Christian view, ref- the the mainstream reflecting a Christian view, not necessarily that everybody bought into that, and certainly not that everybody lived by that. So, not it's not suddenly people have got less moral. Uh, you know, nevertheless, we've gone from our a Christian view being the mainstream to actually a Christian view not not just not being the mainstream, but actually being seen as immoral. There's a whole bunch of issues on what where what we believe where what you believe is now seen as immoral. Not just odd or old, or, but immoral. Our belief on, on um, homosexual sex or uh, gender, um, these, these issues, on these issues we are seen as immoral now. Abortions, pretty I think probably we're seen as immoral. Denying the rights of women, that's immoral. You know, you can you, you see, and so that, that we're in a we're in a different situation there. And um, I was talking about this on the way up. I think there are some professions talk to, talking to one or two of you over the meal table, where it's going to be hard to progress in a career if you're a Christian. And um, I suppose what I want to say is, first of all, that's not actually an, that's not entirely a new situation. It's new for us. But, but that's actually been how it's been for many for many Christians. Uh, you know, I'm a nonconformist, and um, 200 years ago, if you were a nonconformist in Britain, you couldn't go to university. You couldn't, ent- you, so you couldn't become a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher. Um, it's, just, it's not unusual, and many parts of the world, you know, we, 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 it, what what they experience is far worse than ours. So, anyway, that's a rambling answer. My, my, here's my answer to the question. I think what we need is, I think part of me just wants to say, we need to rediscover the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, I I think the book of Revelation, the the, the presenting issue in the book of Revelation is Paul's writing to the churches in Asia Minor, and it was in Asia Minor that something called the imperial cult first arose. This is the the kind of where they worshipped the emperor as a god. It didn't start in Rome, it started in Asia Minor. And if you wanted and, and then there were all these trade guilds and at the heart of the trade guilds was the imperial cult where you had to offer sacrifices to the emperor. And so if you wanted to get on in life, you had to offer sacrifices to emperor. If you wanted to join the army, which was a great way, it wasn't just um, the army was more than a sort of few troops here. It was a sort of civil service. It was it was how you could get become a a citizen. Uh, but you had to offer sacrifices to the emperor. That's why Christians didn't join it. And so John is, so it's very sort of striking parallels. And what John is doing in the book of Revelation is he's giving us, he's appealing to our imagination. This is why if you try and read it as some kind of um, uh, sort of, uh, sort of chart of how history is going to unfold, you get in all sorts of, get in a muddle, What he's doing is he's appealing to our imagination uh, in a way that actually you you think, oh, this is a bit weird. I don't know what to do with this. But actually you do. Every time you watch a a pop video or, uh, you know, it's it's the same kind of um, uh, genre where you get lots of imagery and evocative imagery going on. Um, He's appealing to our imagination, giving us a bigger picture of history and of the universe of God on the throne, of Christ on the throne, of the way Christ has conquered through suffering and the way God's people will conquer through suffering so that we remain faithful in what is an increasingly hostile situation. By the way, in in Asia Minor, it was not particularly state persecution. It was peer pressure. It was was your friends and neighbours saying, the empire has been so good to us. Why don't you sign up? You know, you should join in. Why would you not do that? That's that's the situation we face. And um, it's this big picture of who Christ is and what is going on. So that we have the res- resolve, I think, to continue being faithful to Christ, even though it may mean that some of us suffer in our careers and maybe in other ways as well. And then in the... Um, Mine, there's two minutes that I've got left. I think also just keep looking to Christ and the glory of Christ that we see in in the message of Christ. I refer you to the answer I gave some moments ago.
0: <laughs> and Tim, would you happen to have a book on Revelation? Did you write Revelation? I did, yes. <laughs> That's right.
1: I did, not, I did not intend that, but you are right. If yes. you'd like to
0: hear more, Tim has a book called Revelation for You and uh I don't know if it's on our bookstall, but uh, you'll be able to purchase it from a very good bookseller. <laughs> Tim, it has been a pleasure to have you along this weekend. Um, I hope that you've been able to pick up a little bit of our complicated culture <laughs> and uh, background. Uh, I, ch- I trust to speak for everyone in saying that it's been a great blessing to just have access opened in a fresh way, pointing us to Christ and to his glory and making scripture small for us so that we can see the whole revelation of what's going on from the old to the new testament so thank you for that